Welcome to Crime and Spirits, your new favorite true crime and cocktail podcast. I'm your host, Bree. And I'm your other host, Suze. We're best friends who are obsessed with true crime, and we love a good themed cocktail. So we took our two favorite things and turned them into a podcast. Every Sunday, we release a new episode covering a different case or topic of interest. I'm the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits, so every time we get together, I mix up a drink that ties into the episode in some way, shape, or form, and then I teach you how to make one for yourself. That way, you can sip right along with us. We like to keep things conversational around here, so expect some tangents on occasion, as well as some cursing here and there. Think of us as a cross between Dateline and Girls' Night. So, come hang out with us every week while we learn a little something new together. We'd love to chat with you about whatever, really, but mostly true crime. You better buckle up, Buttercup. And sip tight. Let's get on with the show. Woo! Hey, everybody. Welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast, or maybe welcome back, some more appropriate. We are your hosts. My name is Bree. And I'm Suze. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to come hang out, have a drink, and chat with us about some true crime. Today, we're going to be diving into the murders of Annette Schnee and Bobby Joe Oberholzer. On January 6, 1982, both Annette and Bobby Joe went missing. Now, both women were last seen hitchhiking home after work. We later find out that the victims were shot and left abandoned by the perpetrator the very same night they disappeared. What makes this case interesting to us is the fact that quite soon after the investigation started, it went completely cold. Literally. <laughs> and then 40 years later. You read that right? Four zero, <laughs> Or you heard that right, I should say. There's not only an arrest, but there's a conviction. And somebody went to jail. And just wait until we tell you about how this whole thing went down. It's absolutely crazy. Now, before we move forward, I want to do a quick shout out because today's case was actually recommended to us by one of our listeners, Jess from North Carolina. Hey, girl. So, hey, hey Jess, thank you so much for reaching out. This case is all kinds of wild, and I never actually heard of it before. And those are my favorite ones to dive into mm-hmm. because I'm just learning something new every moment we work on the case. Absolutely. I think she sent me an, a message on Instagram. She had seen a reel that piqued her interest and thought it would also pique her. her- you know, everybody's interest here. Oh, and girl, it sure did. It sure did. <laughs> it was very interesting to learn about this case. Lots of twists and turns. Oh, my gosh. So many twisty. dark and twisty moments. Mm-hmm. Digging it. So just as per usual, here's your warning. This week's episode will include the discussion of gun violence, assault, murder, and the briefest mention of a possible suicide. There's not a whole lot of details available considering the nature of how things went down here. But there will be mentions of the cause of death and what was found at the scene. So just keep that in mind. If it's not your jam, we get it. Um, We'd also like to briefly mention that while Brie and I may laugh and we tell jokes while discussing the details of a case, we have nothing but respect for the victims and the families of those involved. We're never making fun of victims and we are never cracking jokes at their expense. Now, murderers and other awful people that do terrible things, that's different. Um, They are fair game. 100%. We're here to entertain, of course, but our secondary goal is to occasionally teach you a little something as well. Like, we've been learning a lot. So much. And also, doing different cocktails each week has been really fun for me, because I haven't been a nighttime bartender in a while, so this has been, like, a lot of fun just diving into learning that stuff, too. Because you always come out with such interesting facts about the most random shit (laughs) about the drinks. Fun story. That's just how my brain works. I love this is literally why we're friends. (laughs) So if you guys find that you're enjoying our vibe and you also want to be friends with us and you want to see more of these faces, which is the only way you're going to see our faces right now. Absolutely. Make sure that you're following us on our social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook. You can find us at Crime and Spirits Pod. We are also on Twitter at Crime Spirits Pod. If you'd like to become a monthly supporter of our podcast, there is a link available in the show notes. If that's not your thing, that's cool. Maybe you could just consider heading on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from and leave us a rating and a review. We would so much appreciate that. It means a lot and it really helps our little indie podcast get out there a bit more. And found more organically. Yeah. You know, all of the things that we guys, we tell you about every week. So enough with the business. 
I'm excited. Let's get to the drinking. Let's get to the chatting. Let's get to the things. This drink looks so It beautiful. really does. I just have to say. <laughs> so this week's case is just really twisty. There's a lot that happened to get to the resolution that finally comes from this. So I took inspiration from snow. <laughs> snow sucks. I hate snow. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But we're going into Colorado. We're going into mountains. Yep. The snow there sucks even worse. Yeah. It's no freaking joke. <laughs> so we're going to concoct a super fun and delicious drink this week. It's funny that it's technically springtime here in PA. <laughs> Allegedly. The springtime. middle of May. And we're making a decidedly wintry cocktail. You know what, though? That's just how we roll. We do what we want when we want. That is kind of <laughs> part of the joy of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Whatever feels good. We're just going to do it up. We are in creative control. Heck yeah. (laughs) So our cocktail this week is something I'm calling the Jack Frost Martini. It's not a martini at all. We're putting it in a martini glass because it looks cool. I don't know. I love that. Whatever. Um, (laughs) It's blue because you you guys know we love a good blue drink here. Also, it's frozen. We haven't made a frozen drink in a long time. We've only made one one other Mm -hmm. than this, right? For Little Miss Bobbit. Yeah. So my sister got me a Blendjet blender for Christmas, and I was psyched to use it. It is a cool (laughs) little number. If you didn't know, this is not an ad. Just a thing. It's a personal personal portable blender that can be charged with the USB and taken on the road. This thing made it so easy for me to blend this up because we record at Bree's house. Mm -hmm. So I just put it in its little carrying case and toted it right over here, which was awesome. It was super cute. I didn't even realize that you were holding a blender Mm -hmm. when you were talking to me when you got here. It's easy to use, easy to clean up. You don't have wires. You don't have to bust out your big ass blender when you just want one smoothie or one of these. Mm -hmm. Would highly recommend. Again, You'll probably love it. You should go buy one. <laughs> Not an ad. Just saying. <laughs> just something to help your life right. out. Anyway, so the name of the cocktail this week is taking inspiration from Jack Frost himself. So who is this guy, you may be asking? He is the personification of frost, ice, snow, sleet, winter, and freezing cold. None of which I enjoy, to be I honest. I didn't know he was like mm-hmm. a thing. He is a thing. Mm-hmm. This Ooh. is probably my sheltered upbringing speaking. <laughs> um, he is a variant of Old Man Winter. Okay, well that might, yeah, that makes yep. sense. He's held responsible for frosty weather, nipping at your fingers and your toes in such weather. <laughs> he also is responsible for coloring the foliage in autumn and leaving oh. fern-like patterns on cold windows in the winter. Oh, so that's like a thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just wait, girl. <laughs> Um, currently he's sort of morphed into like a sprite-like character who just likes to make some mischief. Mm. Newer versions sometimes also portray him as a hero-like figure. He's sometimes depicted with a paintbrush in a bucket and is coloring the foliage red, yellow, and orange in the fall, which I think is my favorite. Yeah. That's adorable. I love that image (laughs) that you just painted me. Um, now, according to Wikipedia, the tales of Jack Frost may have originated from Anglo-Saxon and Norse winter customs. Hmm. There's a lot of different versions of Jack Frost folklore, dependent on where you are or where you're from. In Russia, he's known as Grandfather Frost. In Germany, there's a lady known as Mrs. Holly, who has similar characteristics to Jack Frost. Huh. The earliest reference to Jack Frost came in a 1734 book, so he's been around for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, specifically, I know him from the Christmas song, a.k.a. Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jack Frost Nipping at Your Toes. Um, he also has several movies out that either feature or mention him in the movie Jack Frost from 1907. 1997, excuse me. <laughs> I know. They, it didn't go back that far. <laughs> Um, he's a serial killer snowman. I was literally just going to say, mm-hmm. so Mark and I, a few years back, started a tradition. Because one thing I struggle with not having been raised with Christmas is the traditions of it all. Mm-hmm. So Mark and I started our own. We love horror movies, so we started watching Christmas-themed horror movies. Jack Frost was one of the first ones we watched, and it's so bad that I love it so much. That's funny. It sounded kind of bad. It's so bad. But so great. (laughs) But so good. (laughs) This is the one I'm familiar with in 1998. Michael Keaton is a human turned into a friendly snowman named Jack Frost. Oh, I'm not aware of that one. It's also called Jack Frost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Many of you may remember Martin Short's portrayal of Jack Frost from the Santa Claus number three. Mm. 
He was blue. He had spiky hair. I love Martin Short. I think he's hilarious. So. Oh, I agree. Mm-hmm. I'll I agree. watch almost anything he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, which I only watched part of this movie, Jack Frost was voiced by Chris Pine in a movie called Rise of the Guardians. Oh. He was more of like a sprite-like hero in that one. Interesting. It was. It, it's a kid's movie, but it was still interesting. So now that we've got our history lesson down, <laughs> let's make the cocktail. So for this, you're going to need coconut rum. We are using Malibu. That's the coconut it's rum everybody by. knows. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there, there are other brands out there. Um, we're going with our old standby blue curacao just to make it pretty. We have cream of coconut, which you can find at the grocery store, and then some pineapple juice. Mostly this is just a blue pina colada, but it's fun. I love it. So first things first, while you're making your drink, pop your martini glass or I have mine in a margarita glass, whatever glass you're using, put it in the freezer. That way it'll be nice and frosty and ready for your nice cold slushy drink. Um, So with the blend jet, you're supposed to put the liquid in first. If you're using Mm -hmm. a traditional blender, you can put the ice in first. We used about a cup of ice per drink. But again, don't overload your blender. That's a good way to ruin it. The cup of ice, I will have to say, was pretty much the perfect, perfect. measurement for but sure. But again, it depends on what your you're doing, yeah. glassware and all that kind of stuff. Um, next up, we're going to add the booze. So one and a half ounces of the Malibu, half an ounce of the blue curacao, one ounce-ish of the coconut cream. It's very hard to measure because mm. while it is a liquid, it's also sort of solid. Like so it, it looked like a paste almost. Mm-hmm. Measure that shit with your heart, whatever feels right. <laughs> if you want it more pina colada-y, add some more. Um, and then one ounce of the pineapple juice. If you need to add more liquid at any point, just add a splash of the pineapple juice to get things going again. Mm. Then add in your cup of ice. With my blend jet, I just hit the button. It runs for 30 seconds and it stops on its own. And it's like perfectly blended. That is what I did. It came out perfect. So... Our, we chilled our glassware, and then we rimmed the glass with some Cairo syrup, which is like sweet and sticky, and then we dipped it in shredded coconut to make it look frosty. Mm. It's so, okay, so it's kind of off-putting in a way, only because you're expecting it to be not beachy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I but like it's it. It's like a sneak beachy. attack flavor. <laughs> like I said, it, this is basically a twist on a pina colada. And it looks like if her inspiration was actually frozen mm-hmm. like very she elsa said, vibes very elsa mm-hmm. and i was like i'm, I'm down with that not too. mad about it but i've seen enough frozen to last a lifetime so oh, i'm sure anastasia was just in a frozen place so oh yeah that's right it was adorable mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sure it was. i could have used one of these while watching i'm sure just you saying. could <laughs> all right perfect so we have our drinks in hand we are buckled up you guys ready? Let's do it. So we're going to start out by going over who the victims were and the events that took place the night they went missing. Then we'll get into the investigation and just go from there. This is considered to be one of Colorado's most perplexing cold cases. So we're going to set the scene just a little bit. Both victims were last seen in Breckenridge. Reminder, this t- takes place in Colorado. Breckenridge is a popular ski town that's roughly eight miles north of Hoosier Pass. This specific pass is a high mountain pass in the Rocky Mountains of central Colorado. No, thank you. Right? You've already <laughs> lost me. Right. Hoosier Pass hits an elevation of, here's where you really lose me, 11,541 feet. That's so high. <laughs> and it's situated on the Continental Divide at the northern tip of Mosquito Range in a space between Mount Democrat and Hoosier Ridge. Annette and Bobby Joe went missing in January. If you guys have been with us for a while, you know what our winters are like here in our little humble corner of of the country. Would not recommend. It's a lot. We are often one of the top two snowiest cities in the country. We usually share that joy with Buffalo, which is an hour and a half away. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) So... That, like Sue said earlier, is we have nothing on a mountain range. Mm-mm. Winter weather in the more mountainous areas, it tends to be snowier. Like, whoa. <laughs> Colder, windier, all of the things that you dislike about winter just rolled into one giant snowball. Yeah, and magnified by mm-hmm. like a thousand. In places like Hoosier Pass, you are almost better off using a snowmobile to get around. They oftentimes wouldn't even allow cars. Mm-hmm. Now, I promise you there is a purpose to this explanation that will become clear as we move forward. I also promise to provide you with a map 
via social media that's going to kind of have all of the specific areas that we're going to talk about pinpointed so you can have it while you follow along. Because as with most things, I actually did have to Google Google Maps mm. this just to get like a, I'm not familiar with the area. I've heard of Breckenridge. Yeah. We drove through Colorado once, but I've never been there. So I had no familiarity with any of the things yeah. we were talking about. So same Google same. Maps, God bless you. <laughs> Absolutely. And like I said, it'll make more sense as to why we started there. I it's promise. True. It will <laughs> as we go. You know that I've always got you. Right. You don't have to worry, my <laughs> sweet baby angels. So Annette Schnee was 21 years old and had just moved to Colorado the previous year. According to her family, she was thriving. She worked two jobs. Uh, At one, she was a housekeeper at the Breckenridge Holiday Inn during the day. And then her evening gig was cocktail waitressing at a local bar. The Wednesday that she went missing, Annette was last seen picking up some items at a local pharmacy around 4.45 p.m. This was after her working at the hotel and before her shift at the bar was due to start. Her plan was to make her way home via hitchhiking, bad, 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 (laughs) change her clothes, and then head back into town for work, also via hitchhiking. Um, Later that night, when Annette didn't make it in for her shift, her coworkers almost immediately became concerned because this behavior was definitely out of the ordinary for Annette. After a couple days went by and nobody had seen nor heard from her, one of Annette's co-workers called the police. She was officially reported missing on January 8th. Now, we know that Barbara, a.k.a. Bobby Joe Oberholzer, went missing on the very same day. She was 29 years old, and she was married to a man named Jeff. And the entire time I was writing this, I just had Jeff Fafa stuck in my head <laughs> the entire time. Because that's how my brain works and tortures me on a regular basis. <laughs> Bobby Joe was last seen that Wednesday at around 7.30 p.m., so it could be surmised that Annette went missing first. She worked in an office building that actually no longer exists. It was called the Bell Tower, which I thought kind of sounded cool. Mm-hmm. On January 6th, she was actually out with some friends unwinding after a long day at work. Afterwards, her plan was to hitchhike her way back home. Now, you may be catching on to the fact that this was a fairly common way to travel, And was even deemed safe at one point in time. My mom used to hitchhike back in the day. (laughs) I don't understand it. There are a lot of cases, even that we have covered Mm -hmm. in the last year and some change. That's kind of what I'm saying. Feature hitchhiking prominently. (laughs) But it was... At what point was it safe? I have so many questions. Well, back then you used to be able to leave your doors unlocked and walk yeah, down the street unattended. Yeah, but murder still and... went in there. I feel oh, like sure. it still happened. We just don't know. We didn't know about it because they didn't have social media the way oh, we do now. I agree. I'm convinced that we like, didn't have our computer phones. That's got to be <laughs> like. I feel like that's the main deciding factor, right? Like why they're. Isn't a lot of like 10 buddy esque people? Well, again, though, as we've discussed, there are an alarming number of people still missing in the United <laughs> yeah, States. It's true. Who were hitchhiking years and years yeah. ago and have just never been heard from again. Just cements my so point. So I'm, sure I'm sure it's happened even more than yeah, we know. 1000%. Which is terrifying. It, exactly. And I think that's probably, that probably plays a role in why people kept doing it because it. There wasn't that immediate like mm-hmm. concern. It wasn't a connection that people probably made at the same rate we do now. Right. Stranger danger wasn't, I feel like, a thing too much back then. I don't know. That's just my speculation. Either way, this was part of Bobby Joe's routine, whether we agree with it or not. Mm-hmm. And it was so much part of it that her husband, Jeff, made her a self-defense keychain before they were cool. Which I thought was bad freaking ass. There's yeah. a picture of it online. It looks yes. like you could knock out a horse with it. I'm going to try to include <laughs> it with the map so you guys can just see because it was badass looking. It was a big brass hook that she just carried around with her. Now that night when she never came home, Jeff immediately tried reporting her as missing. But unfortunately, he was told by police that it was too soon to file a report. Well, because at that point, nobody knew about Annette either, so... Exactly. Because it was only a matter of hours after, like, both women went missing, and Annette wasn't even reported until two days later. Well, I'm sure 
And their argument makes sense. Adults can leave whenever they want yes. and do whatever they want. I do understand. It, I might get frustrated by it, but I get it. I get it's it. It's logical, I, I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day around 3 p.m., Bobby Joe's body was actually discovered on the summit of Hoosier Pass. So there's a small parking lot located at the pass summit. She was found about 300 feet south of that lot along the road to Fairplay, Colorado. This area is approximately 10 miles south of Breckenridge. Don't worry, you'll have the map right now. You might be saying, what? But don't you worry. Just pull up Instagram. It's going to be out with the reel on Sunday, right. so you'll have it right away. Um, police find out that Bobby Joe's death was, quote, due to loss of blood from a gunshot wound of the chest with a second grazing wound to the right breast and appeared to have occurred at the location of the body. The body was found approximately 20 feet off the highway, down a snow embankment, and was lying on her back. End quote. That's from Colorado.gov. So that's official, the official statement. <laughs> um, at some point that same day, Bobby Joe's belongings were found approximately 20 miles away from where her body was located. These items included her driver's license, her blue backpack, an orange booty or sock type of dealie, a wool glove that actually had some blood on it, and a bloody tissue. Throughout the initial investigation, the police determined that a 38 or 357 handgun that used a Remington or Peters copper jacketed hollow point bullet was the murder weapon they were searching for. Unfortunately, the case went cold pretty much immediately and left the police with no leads whatsoever. Six months go by before the police locate Annette. When they finally did on July 3rd, 1982, they found out that she also had been shot just once in the back. She experienced some massive blood loss, which ultimately caused her death. Sound familiar? Her body was found by a boy who was fishing in the Sacramento Creek that day. That poor child mm. was probably scarred for life. Now, this was approximately 20 miles south of Breckenridge. So just for like a visual... Both women went missing in Breckenridge. Breckenridge, <laughs> ten miles south, is where we found Bobby Joe. Ten miles further south, we found Annette. So it's just like a straight line almost, and then kind of curves off when you find Bobby Joe's items. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird when you're looking at it as a solid piece of like all the information. It's so interesting to just kind of see the line in which this person traveled. I guess. Because you can tell it's a, a path, and honest to goodness, it's just a path away. Yes, <laughs> yes, very much so. Now, according to law enforcement, Annette was likely shot in the same area that she was found. That, quote, she was shot outside in a rural, isolated mountain valley area where there would have been no witnesses. It would have been dark, possibly snowing, and incredibly cold, negative 20 degrees. That's... Way too cold for life. No, thank you. Ever. Sometimes when it's really windy here in the winter, it can get like to negative like five, I think, is something like we had to experience before, this past year. Before Christmas this mm -hmm. year when my heat pooped out. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was rough. <laughs> but still, the death was due to loss of blood from a single gunshot wound to the back and appeared to have occurred at the location where the body was found. Both of these women had pretty much the exact same situation. Well, that sounds very familiar. Right? So Annette was found lying face down in the creek, fully clothed yet disheveled looking. She was wearing her shoes on the wrong feet. Hmm. Oh, and she had an orange booty sock thing on her body too. Hmm. Now because of the weather conditions, Annette's body was... So well preserved, despite six months passing, they were able to conduct an autopsy, which I feel like in and of itself is a miracle. Unprecedented, they, I, I feel. I Six months and you're able to complete an autopsy? They were able to, at the very least, discern that the weapon used was likely a 38, 357, 9mm handgun. Hmm. This all sounds familiar. So the only other thing of note that law enforcement found... um on Annette's body, basically, was a business card tucked in one of her pockets. This card just happened to belong to one Jeff Oberholzer. Hmm. Jeff Fafa? 
This is a big break for the case. Police now had a lead, an actual physical connection between these two women, because according to every source, Annette and Bobby Joe didn't actually know each other or have any kind of connection whatsoever. So naturally, Jeff becomes suspect number one. When asked about the card, he said that he had given Annette a ride somewhere back in November and was promoting an appliance repair business at the time, so he had given her one of his cards. Okay. That's I mean, plausible. it's if everybody possible. be hitchhiking all over the place. That, that's really what makes me be like, okay, this is not that far-fetched. Right. Um, Jeff also shared with the police that he had a premonition about when and where Annette would be found before she was actually located. Now, this part, though. Was weird. There's so a video weird. of of him talking about it as is well. Is there really? Yes. Did you watch it? Yes. Gave me the heebies. Ooh, okay. I'm going to watch it after this. mm -hmm, We're going to watch it. So um, apparently he had been experiencing premonitions all of his life and had predicted that Annette would be found on July 4th. He specified further that she would be found four miles from his home. He wasn't that far off because she was found on July 3rd and she was only seven miles away from his home. Now, later on down the road... DNA would rule Jeff out, and investigators were left, again, with a whole shit ton of nothing. Just nothing. Nada. Nada. (laughs) Now, since the murders took place, there have been many public and private entities and individuals that wanted to take a crack at solving this case for themselves. Some examples of those being both state and federal crime-solving agencies, there was a task force or two, some psychics, some private investigators, you know, that kind of thing. This story was even featured on television twice. First, on one of my favorites, an oldie but a goodie, Unsolved Mysteries, back in 1993. That's the shit. And then, again, in 2007, it was on Sensing Murders. By the time 2015 rolled around, it was widely believed that whoever was responsible for this had to have had connections to the Park County area, which is basically the encompassing area Mm. that we've been talking about. Where I think all the crimes occurred, like... all of it yeah the for the most part mm-hmm. there were more than 100 suspects investigated over the previous 33 years up to that point but no one could be definitively tied to the murders so you might be asking yourself how did we get from an all but hopeless investigation to a solved case and a conviction in just a matter of years well We've got answers for you. I'm going to tell you. So back in 1995, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation of the December Denver Crime Laboratory moved forward with the decision to test the wool glove and the tissue that were found with Bobby Joe's belongings. Unfortunately, we did not learn too much at that time, except that the blood was from the same individual and did not belong to either victim. Which I feel like in the moment is definitely some information is better than none. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking it's better than nothing mm-hmm. coming from it. But so at, frustrating. At this point, so frustrating. Then in January of 2021, United Data Connect got involved in the investigation. And through a cooperative effort among law enforcement, Metro Denver Crime Stoppers, and this particular forensic genealogy service, An answer was finally found. Literally just like that. Boom. Isn't that wild? Snap, crackle, pop. They found out who done it. (sighs) So per authorities via a press release, quote, the Schnee family hired Charlie McCormick, a retired homicide detective from Denver, who worked on it for decades, and eventually he heard about United Data Connect. Once involved, UDC was able to extract DNA from some of the case evidence and match it through genealogy to two brothers, end quote. But alas, only one of these brothers had lived in Colorado, Hmm. a man named Alan Phillips. He had resided there since the early 1970s, and wouldn't you know it, he just so happened to have lived near the area where the murders took place. Dun, dun, dun. Awfully convenient. Law enforcement sprung into action immediately, and they placed Phillips under surveillance. It took a few weeks, but on February 20th, authorities finally acquired a DNA sample from Phillips. Per the previously mentioned press release, investigators tested a DNA sample from some of his garbage, LOL, and determined that he was a match. 
So Phillips was arrested, tested again, and the original DNA match was confirmed. More of Oberholzer's clothes from her death were tested and resulted in further DNA matches. End quote there. So you're saying it's pretty much a lock. Pretty much a lock. And then there's a little fun fact here that Sue's added in her research that I thought was super interesting. Blew my mind. (laughs) The DNA certainty of the specimen from the glove was one in 17 quadrillion, which is over 2 million times the population of Earth as a whole. Of the Mm -hmm. whole planet. Isn't that... I was like... My mind went... I was like, wait, what? So it's it's so certain. It's... Yeah. Literally so certain. Especially when you read about cases where it kind of falls on DNA to be the end-all be-all. That's their first argument, right? Is Mm -hmm. that, well, how certain is it? Pretty fucking certain. pretty fucking certain. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was really interesting. Try me, bitches. (laughs) Um, So... Philip's arrest was done during a planned traffic stop that took place less than 20 miles from where both women were found. He was promptly charged with two counts of first-degree kidnapping, two counts of first-degree assault, and two counts of first-degree homicide. During the trial, the defense tried to point the finger at Bobby Joe's husband, Jeff. Been there, done that. (sighs) Bye, guys. It's not a very good (laughs) argument, considering that the DNA that they ran actually ruled him out back in the 1980s. So obviously their case was not successful. Their arguments were not successful. There were also some victim impact statements that were read. Um, Annette's Annette's sister, Cindy, who was 11 at the time of her sister's murder, talked about how her mother cried the entire six months that Annette was missing and how unfair it was that Annette couldn't have a family well, Phillips went on to have a couple wives and a couple children over the years that he was out and free. I don't disagree. I know. Bobby Joe's daughter, Jackie, also 11 at the time of her mother's death. And I thought that weird. was really fucking weird because just the way that this all went down and then on top of it, both kids involved were 11. I don't know. I don't like all the coincidences. Right. I'm sure this has nothing to do with anything, but it's Not just something all. like a pattern that my brain... Once my brain starts looking for stuff like that, it's just all I see. Either way, she recalled a childhood that was just full of sadness and depression and anxiety. And God, I can only imagine what it was like for either of these two kids to have to grow up after this. She spoke about how she had a hard time relating to other children and how hard it was to grow up without her mother, which, yeah, I get it. of course. Especially when somebody's taken from you in that violent a manner, you know? Yeah. You're a kid. You can't understand what happened. Like, And then you don't know anything for 40 more years. That's a lot. Yeah. It's crazy. Interestingly, Phillips did not address the court on his own behalf. His daughter Andrea did, though. She was the only one, actually, who spoke on his behalf. Now, initially, it seemed like everything was going to be okay. She expressed sympathy for the women and their families, but she ruined that. By talking about forgiveness and redemption. Mm. There is a time and place for both of those things. This was not it. This, this wasn't... I really thought about this after writing the script because I was like, okay, how do I feel about that? Because this was her dad, right? Like, I can't, you can't fault her right. for wanting her father to not have to go to jail in his 70s. But, like... I'd be like, bitch, don't talk to me about forgiveness. It'd be different. Okay, let me see. I wonder if you would agree. Would, do you feel like it would be different if it was 40 years he had already spent in jail? He was remorseful. X, Y, Z happened. Blah, you know, X, whatever would need to happen. Like, do you think at that point it would be acceptable for the daughter on their behalf to be like, what about forgiveness and re- redemption? That at least I could understand a little more than Right. This. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. And These I'd, poor families had to go with nothing. No for answers. So long. I, I you can take that fair, right out of here. Figure into it, but it's just not fair. Gosh darn it. Yeah. No, <laughs> I agree. That's kind of how I felt about it too, and which is why I feel like she kind of further ruined things when she talked about how her father had taught his children about honesty and <laughs> ethics while growing up. But you're not being honest or ethical. So. <sighs> She said, "Quote: He is a good man, and I thought someone should say something." Which I again, I can understand. In these situations, I do feel like not standing up for a murderer here, full disclaimer, I do feel like the families of the people who committed these acts often 
don't get talked about. Which I we should never take away from the actual real victims in the story, but I can't help but feel like they're victims too. Well, and I get it. To if, an extent. If, if my dad was looking at life in prison or worse, I would probably want to stand up on his behalf. You yeah. know what I mean? But- I would like to think that I would see what the sitch was <laughs> before I like blindly did that but you never know what you're well, gonna do about in those how moments. you're wording it and how you're hurting the people mm-hmm. who've already been hurting for a lifetime I think what makes this case so like special circumstance is just the fact that they went 40 years without knowing and then literally at, I can understand that it was probably very jarring for her that her father at 71 got arrested and right. was going through all Seemingly of this Seemingly out of nowhere right but I don't know. I just, it didn't sit right with me, mm-hmm. her statement. Didn't care for I it. I didn't like it. Didn't like I'm just, it. I'm just going to say it. I didn't like nope. it, guys. So this brings us to mid-September of 2021, which was not that long ago, you guys. Um, Alan Lee Phillips is found guilty. He's subsequently sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. These were to be served one after the other to allow the maximum penalty under law. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this was requested specifically by the pr- prosecution. They wanted to allow the loss of each woman's life to be recognized fully. Which we love to see it. I absolutely think is the right decision. I agree. Um, after sen- sentencing took place, Phillips did plan on appealing his conviction. His argument was that the DNA evidence used against him was contaminated and mishandled. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got, a raspberry. (laughs) Bullshit. Um, So we couldn't find anything that stated whether this appeal was started or if it went anywhere. But considering that he passed away in prison on February 27th, 2023, literally months ago, none of that really seemed to matter. Yeah. So we didn't dig very hard. Mm -mm. And as far as I'm concerned, he's guilty. Yes, I concur. So here comes the dark and twisty part of things, because Phillips had been on police radar, not just once, but twice since all of this started. Mm-hmm. The f- one of the times he popped up was in 2005, and this was thanks to an anonymous tip that literally no one will talk about, so that's all we know. Right. Which I hate, but I don't have any more information than that. But I tried, and I was like, there's literally nothing for me to find here, not even remotely. At some point, I have to tell myself to stop looking for things and to keep writing. I know. <laughs> um, the worst part is that once all the DNA evidence kind of came out, police realized that Phillips had actually interacted with local emergency services the very same night Annette and Bobby Joe were murdered. What? And uh, you guys... That was because this guy got stuck on a snowy mountain pass just hours after he killed them. This fucking guy had to be rescued off of said mountain pass almost immediately after dumping his victims' bodies. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Just wait. We're going to tell you all about it. (laughs) So a local Georgetown newspaper wrote an article about what happened the week that Phillips was found in Guanella Pass which is yet another mountain pass, way high up, very treacherous in the snow. Over 11,000 feet, if I recall. Mm -hmm. It's actually closed to vehicles during the winter months because of how bad the road conditions get up there, and they don't attempt any kind of snow removal because what's the point? They don't even bother. It just keeps coming. mm -mm. And it's probably also dangerous for the people to have to do the snow removal. Absolutely. It's just not worth it. mm -mm. No thanks. Take your snowmobile or stay home. You could not pay me enough. Right. (laughs) So, per this newspaper article, this is a quote, Alan Phillips found himself stranded in the snowy Colorado mountains without tire chains this week. So, he used his pickup truck's headlights to flash an SOS that was spotted by a passenger in a jetliner thousands of feet above. He was driving home Wednesday night and had to cross 11,665 feet worth of snowy pass. (laughs) Near the summit, his pickup got stuck in snowdrifts. He had warm clothing and emergency blanket to keep warm, but no tire chains. You find out how lonely it is really quick. That was a direct quote from Phillips reminiscing about his time stuck in the past because this article, I feel like, gave him like a 15-minute in a fame kind of vibe. So if you're looking at the rescue itself... 
He used SOS with headlights. Yeah. And just happened to catch somebody's eye. Right. On a plane? Exactly. It's kind of crazy when you think about what? it, right? Like, let's break it down. It just so happened that a sheriff was on a plane. That just so happened to be flying over this mountain pass. And this sheriff just so happened to notice headlights flashing an SOS. I would not know an SOS if it punched me in the face. It was Morse code. Yeah. It's like 232 or something. That's the only one that I feel like I would recognize. That's the only one that I remember. And I don't really know why, but at least that's the important one. I don't know any plane that I've ever been flying in that I've looked down at the earth. I would... Nope, not even a shot. Right? Because in my brain, I picture (laughs) a very snowy... I I picture a snowpocalypse. Mm -hmm. That's the only reference I have for it. The one year when we got like three feet of snow in In eight hours. Mm -hmm. I picture that. Trying to drive to the country fair a block away is what I'm picturing in my brain. It didn't work then. And just having like... How do you see through? It was dark out. Especially, I, I can't even finish a thought because none of it makes no, sense. No, if the weather's crappy, planes go above the crappy weather. Yeah, so I can't see through the cloud cover. <laughs> I Y'all, don't. I'm just saying this is fucking miraculous. Honestly, I I know it sounds wild, but this is exactly how it went down. Once the sheriff realized what was going on, he told the pilot, who then radioed the FAA, and this is what led Dave Montoya, the fire chief in the county at the time, to go and find Phillips. Mm-hmm. Now, there's video footage of an interview he did, and it was actually really interesting to watch him kind of share the story in his own words. Um, he said that this whole situation was, quote unquote, the craziest thing he ever heard of. Well, fuck yeah. <laughs> so in that interview, Montoya told the story of how he made his way up the pass that night. He was surprised when the call came through initially and was expecting to find a tourist or someone unfamiliar with the weather conditions or the area or pick one, any of those things. (laughs) He went on to say, quote, sure as heck. There he was in his little pickup with the exhaust going out and he saw me and he freaked out. He said, oh, God, I'm saved. I pulled up and he jumped out of his truck and jumped in my truck. And he says, man, am I glad to see you? I'm sure he did. Sure he was. Montoya, surprisingly, had recognized the guy that he just saved. And then he immediately had some questions like, (laughs) what the hell are you doing out here on a night like this? Phillips told Montoya that he was drunk and was just trying to get home via the pass, that it, quote unquote, seemed like a good idea. Yeah, right. Liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) That is when Montoya noticed Phillips' eyes. There was a gash on his head near his right eye, and he saw it plain as day. Phillips played it off when questioned. He just kind of was like, you know, I tried to find my way out of the pass on foot. There was a, what was it, like a ski resort nearby that he was going to attempt to walk to, allegedly. But then the snow came back and blinded him, and he was trying to walk circles to find his truck again, and allegedly... Found it with his head. Found it face first, ran Mm -hmm. right into the corner of his cab. Mm. Since he had obviously found his truck, he went back inside and waited. And then about 10 minutes later, Montoya arrived on scene. Now, Montoya mentioned this story specifically, and he said in his interview that this made sense to him because the wound was still fresh. Hmm. Just take a minute to let that settle. Hmm. The wound was still fresh. So naturally, Montoya, being a seemingly good guy, is like, okay, let's go get you to the medics. Let's work our way down the mountain. Absolutely. Philip adamantly was like, absolutely not. No. He refused every option given to him. He just kept saying that he was good and that he just had to get home. He had to get up for work in the morning. Montoya accepted that answer. After all, he had to report to the same shift because they worked together. He just took him home. Now, after the rescue, both men had to relay their version of events to the local sheriff. Nothing ever came of this, though. In fact, Montoya didn't even put together the whole thing himself until he talked to McCormick years later. Isn't that wild? I just... He literally picked up a man who had just got done, like, needlessly murdering two women. Back-to-back murdering two women. Dumping Dumping them in atrocious conditions. They weren't even, like dead by the gunshot per se they had to bleed out 
that's horrific. And you rescued this man. I can't mm. imagine what that kind of moment was for him. She left his ass on the moon. Honestly, <laughs> just left him to die. So looking back, it seems like this connection should have been just impossible to miss. But we have the privilege of hindsight. And it should be noted that law enforcement did literally everything they could and actively kept this case alive for 40 years. Two investigators are specifically credited for this, one being Charlie McCormick, who's been working the case since 1989, and then Wendy Kippel, who's been working the case since 2013. Not so fun fact, one of the things that came to light during the later part of this decades-long investigation was the fact that Phillips had a record. In July of 1973, he was arrested for assault and burglary, He ended up serving six months behind bars. In the case file, there was a signed confession from Phillips, who was just 22 years old at the time. He explained how he attacked a young woman. According to Kippel, the first sentence reads, quote, I saw a woman hitchhiking on the south edge of Breckenridge, and I stopped and gave her a ride over to Fairplay, end quote. Phillips goes on to describe what he did to her before confessing that he, quote, stopped at an empty cabin pulled the girl from the jeep, picked up a rock, and hit her several times, end quote. Thankfully, the victim in this instance survived and reported him to the police. As we mentioned, he was only sentenced to six months in jail, and then he was free to live his life fully after that. Again, hindsight is twenty twenty. In a perfect world, he would have been stopped back then. Mm-hmm. The system I, is we slow. We see this a lot. We yeah. really do. And the system is slow most of the time. At least in this case, justice was eventually served. And Phillips did have to suffer some consequences for what he had done. And I think that's a pretty good scenario in most of these kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. Now, before we wrap it up for the day, we did just kind of want to briefly mention that I thought was an interesting note. There has been some speculation since the trial that Phillips may have been a serial killer, that perhaps there are more women out there that we just don't know about. Now, as it stands, as of this recording, May of 2023, we don't know if that's true. And he's dead, so he's not going to be able to weigh in on this. I feel, though, he would never confess to it anyway. I agree. But how many more women went missing or were just thought to have maybe walked away from their lives yeah and are still up on the mountain somewhere hitchhiking on their way and ran into alan lee phillips and met their end i'm just saying i feel as though it's plausible given his escalation i i don't know you know a part of me does wonder i don't feel like i you know i think that if the previous assault didn't happen, I would be inclined to think this is a one-off, but I think I agree. I think that it's unlikely. My coworker, Carissa, and I have been talking a lot about the Idaho murders Mm -hmm. because they just convicted him. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, I haven't. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he just got convicted or like they're near the end. I'm almost positive that he just got convicted. Her and I have talked about it a lot and we're convinced that this is not his first time. No, for sure. I kind of feel the same way. You don't go from zero to 100. Right. So in the Idaho instance, it was four victims. Right. This was two girls in one night. Within hours of each other. I I just, just, I think that escalation had to have started before that. We just don't have enough details on it. I'm inclined to agree. So in my mind, yeah, Yeah. I think he might could be. I I would be inclined to agree. And I I hope that's not the case just because this is something that, it would be so nice to be able to put a bow on it, for lack of a better term, and be able to just find some closure for the families and things like that. But who knows? I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. So if you have any inclinations one way or the other, yeah, let us know. Please, I do. would be super interested to know what you guys think. That, absolutely. What a crazy case, though. Am I right? Because the way it was first posed to me was... We wa- I watched a video on Instagram. Mm-hmm. This man has been rescued from a snowy mountain. And I was like, oh, sweet. What does this have to do with crime? Mm-hmm. Really? Well, it turns out he was rescued after dumping bodies. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. I got to research this some more. That was all you had said to me, too, when Suze presented 
showed me the video. She's like, look, this was the, this is the deal. And I was like, say less. <laughs> Add it to the list. This right. is crazy. I, I'm just happy they they found resolution. Yeah. One way or another. 40 years kept that cold case alive. That's incredible to me. I'm just saying, don't give up hope. If there's DNA, there's going to be a way one way or another. I think we're going to start seeing a lot we already have stuff like this. The Golden State Killer. Mm-hmm. That was 50 oh, years, man, I think. Crazy. That was the 70s, wasn't it? I th- I'm not, admittedly, I'm not very familiar with that one. So I'm not even going to weigh in on the time period for that. Bad man. But I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a really interesting time to kind of see how all of this progresses. <laughs> for good or for bad, yes. yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. We'll use these powers for good. (laughs) We haven't had a great track record as humanity. Right. (laughs) But you never know. There's always time for us to pivot. I think that's what Queen Herbie always says. You just have to pivot. 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 (laughs) I never know which way to pivot. (laughs) And on that note, we're going to pivot right on out of here. Heck yeah. It's time for our weekly treat of not so great for us delicious Mm -hmm. food. Um, Thank you guys for hanging out with us today. We super appreciate your time and your support so very much. So very much. So thankful. Um, If you're not already doing so, make sure you're checking out our podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. On Twitter, we're at Crime Spirits Pod. This is where you can find the ingredient lists, recipes, fun videos, the whole nine yards. We teach you how to make the drink, give you a little background on the case. Mm -hmm. Check it out. I'm getting uh, much better at making some really interesting things for us to show you, like evidence and things like that moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about what we're able to put together for you guys. Check it out. Definitely come hang out on social media. If you want to follow us personally, you can find us on Instagram. I'm at Suze, not Susan. And I'm at Brie, not the cheese. Oh, Brie underscore, not the cheese. That's important. Don't forget the underscore. <laughs> if you like the podcast, please go show us some love. Leave us some comments. Rating and review really help us get out there a bit more organically, like we mentioned earlier. And honestly, we just love talking with you guys about the cases we cover and the comments of our posts so please keep going we're starting to get some really fun interactions and i want more i'm I'm loving it a very greedy bitch (laughs) give me more right (laughs) as always if you have a recommendation for a case or a cocktail that you want us to check out or make for you you can email us it's crime and spirits podcast at gmail.com And finally, again, if you're interested in becoming a monthly supporter for our podcast, there's a link for that in the show notes. Just smash it. Smash that link. All right. And before we go, it is corny joke time. Woohoo. Are you ready? I am. As she sips her drink. Let's do it. Why wasn't the woman happy with the Velcro she bought? (laughs) Why? Because it was a total (laughs) ripoff. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> the best part is that the website I got it has a picture of Morgan Freeman. Or uh, not Morgan Freeman. Yeah, Morgan Freeman. It is Morgan Freeman. He's like, hey. <laughs> he looks deranged in the picture. So I was like, wait, is that him? I love it. It's the best part. All right. And on that note, thank you guys for just being so wonderful all the time, hanging out with us. Thank you also for responsibly enjoying your adult beverage while sipping along with us. That's the most important part. Safety first, my friends. Stay home. Have a snack. Make sure you drink some water. We hope you have the very best day, and we will catch you next time. Catch you later. Bye. Bye.